0: Welcome to the Phoenix Cast, a podcast about cybersecurity, technology, and innovation issues in the military. We are your hosts, John, Rich, and Kyle. Rich and I are both U.S. Marines, and the opinions expressed on the cast are those of the hosts, not official military policy. Opinions expressed by Kyle are his own, not of his employer or any other business he's associated with. For today's episode, we have a very special guest, Pat. Thanks for coming on the cast. Can you provide us with a quick intro? Hi, my name is Pat, Uh,
1: I am also an active duty U.S. Marine uh, with a loose background in naval integration.
0: Ooh, naval integration. All right, so uh, on our uh, last cast, and if you didn't listen to episode one, I'd highly recommend you go back and give it a listen. We talked about cloud adoption, cybersecurity, and some of the issues around that. Uh, So a, a lot of what we hit on were just kind of general best practices, and we also went into the general idea of cloud migrations covering down on least privilege, multi-factor authentication, challenging uh, secrets, credit management, that type of stuff. For this episode, episode two, we're gonna cover software as a service. And we'll even delve a little bit into user productivity and collaboration, get a little bit into software development, and of course, uh, hit a bit of security. I hope you've prepared yourself for what is likely to be an ultra passionate discussion on cloud service offerings and how they can support the mission of the armed forces. So let's just get right into it, uh, Kyle. You know, not everybody's going to have a great idea of what SaaS even is. Could you just give it, a, give us a quick idea? You know, what is SaaS, and, and give us a little difference between uh, IaaS that we talked about last week?
2: Yeah, absolutely. So we'll we'll go up and down the spectrum here. So we we first have IaaS, uh, IaaS infrastructure as a service, which is basically where you as a customer pay somebody to give you a piece of hardware. So this is traditionally like DigitalOcean, Ocean, AWS, Google Cloud, Microsoft Azure, where you're basically going to pay someone to just give you a server to run. Uh, then you move up the stack a little bit and you get to platform as a service, P-A-A-S or pass, which is basically where someone gives you an infrastructure that you can run code on without really needing to worry about any of the underlying hardware or any of the underlying uh, equipment in any way. So this is things like AWS Elastic Beanstalk, Google App Engine, uh, Windows on Azure, or managed AD services as well. Then you go up to SaaS, Software as a Service, S-A-A-S, and these are just where you get to be a customer and use a thing. Uh, most of these are usually built through some sort of web interface, so these are the traditional things. Google Apps like Gmail and Google Drive, Dropbox, Salesforce, WebEx, GoToMeeting, anything where you just get to use it and you know, either use it for free via web or pay somebody a small monthly fee, that's SaaS. And if you want to get into a little bit more about the uh, different flavors of moving up the stack of platform as a service, you can get into containers as a service, serverless as a service, and it gets really, really muddy once you get past that. So for today's example, we're just going to say SaaS is stuff you get to use without having to ever run the infrastructure for it.
3: Ooh,
0: running stuff without having to do the work. This sounds like my kind of uh, thing.
2: Oh, it's hey, the Rich, dream, man.
0: Oh, yes. Rich, do you <laughs> have any, uh, like, when you're thinking about SaaS, do you think that that really changes our focus uh Fundamentally, between SaaS and IaaS, or is is this just kind of like a marketing thing somebody put on a PowerPoint? We can sound smart by saying it, but as Marines, uh, just the same thing. What do you think?
3: Yeah, so John, suit. Awesome question, right? And to kind of dovetail off of what Kyle said, you know, you can keep moving up this SaaS as you abstract layers away from. IT, and you get all the way up to like data as a service, right? And people hear that, they're like, ooh, the data is just doing stuff for me, right? I I actually don't need to think as a human. The data is just going to do stuff and magically things are going to happen. It's kind of, we talked about last week, week, like uh, artificial intelligence, where everybody just kind of jumps to terminators right out of the gate from a DOD perspective. Um, and, And I think with when we start talking about what is offered in a cloud and people start thinking about layers of abstraction, they just immediately go to, well, I don't have to do anything now. Cloud just solves all my problems. Um, So having said that, um, I know that was kind of a really, really long-winded introduction there. Uh, But having said that, I do think that uh, software as a service changes our focus, but I kind of want to unpack that really quick and then kind of kick that conversation over uh, to the the members of the of the podcast so the first part is let's talk about like focus right so the doD and then neck down to the usmc uh, for a second so our job is to defend the nation right um and then when you look at, from a DoD perspective. And then when you just immediately jump to the Marine Corps and you start talking about the Naval service, the Naval infantry, what we're supposed to do, right? Like how does software as a service make us better at doing the things the Marine Corps is supposed to do? Uh, Well, I would argue that, and definitely in my opinion, it just refocuses initially how we employ and allocate our resources from a personnel, fiscal and equipment perspective. Um, So last week we talked about infrastructure as a service and how, Um, When you move things to the cloud, you still have to have people that know how to provision that infrastructure as a service, or you have to have people that know how to automate the provisioning of that infrastructure. So you still have these operational people, right? You're expending operational expenditures or OPEX uh, for short to do that work, right? So what software as a service gives you and where I think it's a game changer is you, you no longer generally are paying for both the cloud service and the people in OPEX to run it or run the automation to implement or instantiate it. So that's where I think software as a service helps us, um, at least in the Marine Corps, refocus our resources a little bit. So for example, um, we have folks in operations groups on the IT side of the house that have to like manage the provisioning of all of our user productivity software, right, whether you're using you know, a Microsoft suite of software, you know, their office offerings or using an open source version of it. Some people run Office-like products on Linux. That still requires people to download the software, provision that software, provide support for that software, like an enterprise service desk. So anyhow, you have some OPEX, significantly so if you're not paying a provider, like a cloud service provider, to do all of that for you. Um, So that's where I really think software as a service helps us is it allows us to take the people and retrain them to do other things, or it allows us to take the money that we were actually pushing towards IT and just pay somebody for that service from top to tail. So I'll pause there for a second, because that was a lot to kind of drop it right at the beginning of the conversation and kind of toss it back over the fence to Kyle real quick and say, does that make sense, Kyle? I mean, you know, from your definition of a software service, I I think that's kind of in line, but over to you. Yeah, absolutely. And
2: I'll say this, it's important to try to break down understanding all of these, all the things as a services as just a consumption model, right? Like if you have a Gmail account, which, you know, all of us probably do, we are users of a SaaS product for Gmail, but there are dudes at Google who are running the pass for Gmail and then other people at Google who are managing all of the IaaS that is running on that. And then you know, nothing as a service. There are people managing hard drives and CPU and RAM and network in a stack and a rack and all those things. And so what focusing on choosing to move up that stack or down the stack is a way to choose to focus on things that are more important to driving the value that you want to see, right? Like try to look at this a different way. Your kernel has always enjoyed SaaS with his email because he doesn't have to worry about anything to get it, whether he's using Gmail or Office 365 or just an Outlook client that is running somewhere else, right? Lance Corporal Schmuckatelli, he's providing IaaS to the rest of the platoon and to the rest of the company when he's running the exchange server in some way. And so it's important to just flip that around. If you can try to find the lessons learned and people who are really good at running your IAS, you can run that better with fewer people and less OPEX or CAPEX expenditure in order to provide a greater... SaaS-based consumption for everyone down the line. So the more mature you get at running SaaS, and I'm using air quotes here even though you can't see it, the more mature you get at running SaaS, the more time you free up for all of your customers. The less they have to stress about the basics because you have other people as you move up that stack who are becoming experts at the basics and basically providing free reliable, secure services that no one else has to worry about again. So that's where you, work, you worry about moving the slider left and right from a business perspective. So when I when I put my, my Marine hat back on, right, I haven't had it on for a few years, but when I put that back on, if you can have SAS stuff that Marines are using, those Marines don't have to worry about running the infrastructure. They don't have to worry about the platform that the infrastructure is running on, and they don't have to worry about providing the service. They just get to consume so they can spend the rest of their time, you know, preparing for ops or doing PFTs or annual training or all the things that Marines need to do in addition to defending the nation. And it's just a a method to kind of give everyone time back in their life.
3: Yeah. So Kyle, um, thanks so much, brother. Um, (laughs) I I really think that, uh, you know, when it comes to this, we can get very technical. Um, And I know like this crew loves to do that, right? To jump down, talk tech, all that kind of stuff. And I think to bring it back up to a 50,000 foot view, um, you know, one of the things that software as a service gives us is as DOD elements, we're now able to focus on the purpose of what that software was intended to provide us. So what I mean by that is, you know, we we generally on the show today, what John mentioned earlier, wanted to talk about like user productivity and collaboration, software as a service, and then potentially software development things. And we'll get to that later. And then a little bit about like how security services can do things for us so we don't have to manage OpEx by a little CapEx investment, right? Um, But I think ultimately what we're trying to say here is that software as a service allows the warfighters to do the thing without this additional overhead. So what I mean by that is the whole purpose of data and information processing systems is to allow commanders to make decisions, right? So if I'm generating an operations order in Microsoft Word or some other word processing software, I no longer have to worry about running that software, right? I could just focus on the content that I'm putting in there so that a commander can make a decision to, that would ultimately defeat an adversary somewhere in the battle space. So I think, you know, just going to a 50,000 foot uh, level, I just kind of wanted to bring that out is like software as a service, kind of cool because depending on what the software is, it allows you to just focus on what that software is providing you as an advantage to overcoming some sort of adversarial will, if that makes sense. Um, Absolutely. So, uh, yeah, that, that yeah, makes perfect job.
0: sense. Uh, and, you know, kind of kind of bringing it back up, you know, put it to the 50,000-foot view or bring it to the regular man. Pat, uh, as a communications officer, is this uh, the kind of thing you combos or you know, you get around the metaphorical uh, water cooler Monday morning after your restful weekend? Uh, you know you talk about how awesome it was mowing the lawn and then you you get into the hot sass talk or uh <laughs> or is this maybe a little bit more obscure
1: yeah I, I think it's definitely more in the obscure side and i know john we've had a lot of conversations so like my 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 g2 on this is is been elevated from talking to you but um now it, it's definitely it's it's we're sort of at the rudimentary level um i think we all think someone's kind of doing this up, upstream up the chain of command developing this I still think for maybe average commos or even the average user, it's the cloud is a place where we just kind of toss some data uh, that's available to us. We're certainly not thinking uh, about security, application functionality. Um, I think Rich brought up a good point about uh, how we're, we're, we're focused so much on running these services, which take time and people. Um, and that we, we are not able to kind of refocus in the areas that are warfighting capabilities, not just being a, being a provider. Uh, when you look at how big like the communication community is in the, in the Marine Corps, it, it sort of rivals the infantry, like still currently our, our primary focus. Um, so, yeah, it's really just trusting that up the chain somebody is doing these things, but I'm certainly not turning to somebody in my office to say, I want you to develop this application for the cloud um, and, then, and then sort of employ it. That's a, that's a big ask up the chain for somebody else to do it. Um, so we certainly don't
0: have those trained people to do it as well. So, yeah, I, I guess what I hear you saying is, you know, maybe, hey, this is a little bit more obscure than you guys might be giving it credit for. So, you know, let, let's, let's take a quick stab here. So when, when we talk about IAS, the, the thing, at least for the Marines that this gets you is if, if you want to run an application you have to, one, have somewhere to store that application, right? So what that means is you have to have a storage solution. Your storage solution has hardware and software. The hardware needs to be set up in some type of disk groups, right? And that's got to be done for redundancy. And you got to have a couple extra uh, hard drives in the quad con, right? Then somebody needs to know the software that, that... Storage system works on, so that's another marine that does it. Probably a couple different marines that do that, right? Then you have a virtualization platform. You need to set that up. You need to connect it to the storage, and then you can finally get uh, for infrastructure as a service to where you get something to run your operating system on, and, and that's really what op- infrastructure as a service is. So you know what, whether you're going to be Linux or Windows, because Rich mentioned you know Exchange server, you're going to have a Windows VM, and you're going to put Microsoft Exchange on top of that, so that clients can get an email box uh, where SaaS further abstracts and says, instead of you even having to worry about that Microsoft operating system and the exchange application on top of it, I'll take care of all of that for you too. So no more setting up disk groups, no no more securing storage, securing virtualization, set that all up like boom. You're just giving people mailboxes. Uh, and, and, you know, I, I think there's a decent amount of combos that, w- that would be interested in that. But then I, I think you've got a good point of it's like, you're not going to be like, uh, Lance Corporal, six and center of my desk. Hey, uh, you know how you were doing, uh, put hard drives in the thing yesterday. Now you're writing apps. Uh, probably a little more difficult than that. What do you think? Yeah, yeah,
1: I agree. I mean, I think there was a stab at the Marine Corps kind of investing in that in um, in developing sort of NCO level app developers and I haven't seen much traction on that, but uh, I mean, I I think one of our real experiences work has been uh, like commercial solutions for classified, like outsourcing some of that security and that we don't want to do that ourselves. But there are companies that are willing to take government dollars to do that, run all the infrastructure, uh, no, no, no investment for the Marine Corps besides dollars um, and then do it well. And, and and give us a kind of trusted application to use. So that that's that's a great model. Uh teaching kind of our junior Marines how to do all this stuff where the majority of those Marines are probably going to leave to go do other things uh when they're time the Marine Corps up um, is probably not the investment we want to make.
0: Yeah, and that's definitely something that we're gonna have to be uh, getting to in the in the very near future. Uh but maybe maybe for uh the alligator that's a little closer to the boat, uh, you know, the the major SaaS offerings that that you hear about a lot are around user productivity and collaboration. Um, and I think Kyle and Rich, you guys are probably the best posture to kind of talk about that. So when you say user productivity and collaboration, uh, why don't we have Kyle take a shot at like, what does that mean? Or what are some examples? So the listeners would understand what we're talking about here. And then Rich, bat some cleanup and cover down on whatever uh, Kyle is able to.
2: Yeah, let's the first stab at that. So when we talk about productivity software, what we're really talking about are all the, the basic life support systems that you need in order to conduct business with whatever you're doing. So this is very traditionally things like, how do I get email? How do I create documents that I can type in? How do I enter data into spreadsheets? And, you know, you can extend this out to a lot of other things like, and then how do I make a phone call from my desk and, and the very basics that we see. So. Around the horn, that's really what you want to focus on when you talk about user productivity. It's how to, regardless of what business you're in, regardless of what company you are, whether you're military, whether you're civilian, what vertical or horizontal industry you're in, these are the the kind of glue that keeps businesses communicating.
0: Rich, you have anything to add on that?
3: Uh, yeah, so I guess uh, just a couple of minor points so in rich's perspective right uh, and maybe i'll knife hand right now um, no it's not, oh, it's not that it's, yeah, it's, it's not that early, contest, <laughs> <burst> early <laughs> in the cast for that <laughs> yeah, i was just gonna say it's 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 not time yet but uh, having said that uh from, from my perspective you know um user productivity and collaboration services um, are just there to to connect your entire organization and allow them to share data At the speed of relevancy. I'll use that instead of saying seamless, although we love that in the military seamless. Like, yep, um, not gonna use that phrase uh, moving forward, but. you know at the speed that they need that data or they need to speak or video chat or call each other on the phone like Kyle mentioned um, i mean that's really what these user productivity and collaboration uh, tools give you and then the productivity side of it is they produce a thing that's usable by somebody else in their organization so in the military application of it right if we're using a word processor that's mostly because we're probably writing an order to issue to somebody else in a timely fashion that gives them time to then plan Uh, at their level of warfighting so they can overcome some adversary or some opposing will to put it back in context. So, But I think I'll throw out one question here, right? Like when it comes to user productivity and collaboration, yeah, I use the phrase data and, you know, relevant to uh, whatever time sensitive thing you're doing as a warfighting organization. And so I think that's where uh, the Marine Corps could massively take advantage of software as a service on the user productivity side, with one huge caveat, which is we don't necessarily have ubiquitous bandwidth all over the globe in the areas that the Marine Corps get tasked to go operate inside of, right? Um, So, you know, having software as a service, when you're in a state where you're connected uh, to a larger network that you can reach these cloud software as a service suites, that's outstanding. But when you move towards the edge where a lot of the kinetic operations are going on, you lose that ubiquitous bandwidth. And so you know, one of the things I'll throw out there, uh, you know, phrase we hear a lot, is this concept of a hybrid cloud, right? Where you're still going to maintain some of this on-premise capability and software, and then you're going to try to integrate it with that software as a service that exists somewhere else where you could take advantage of the initial capital investment, which is hopefully less than your long-term sustainment profile that you're currently using now, to get rid of some of that OPEX to run the software. So you know, Kyle, Pat, I don't know what you guys' thoughts are on that, but, but I'll turn it over to you guys for any further discussion there.
2: Yeah. I mean, loosely, I agree. I think that Whenever you're talking about those things, you, you kind of put it there, the connective tissue, right? It's it's how do you move ones and zeros from point A to point B? And the farther away you get, right? It's not any climb in place with a good fiber connection. It's any climb in place. And those will rarely have a good fiber connection. So we have to be very cautious about how how much you can communicate when you're, when you're forward, how much you can communicate from just a quantity perspective. And so you've got to start doing things like edge caching and bringing suites out that can offload some of that capability.
1: Yeah, just just a, like transport matters. Um, I, I always like the analogy of like scavenging for transport. When you think of like the sixteen year old kid that knows all the Wi-Fi connections all over their their entire town. Like that. That's kind of how the Marine Corps is going to operate in some of these places of just you know five G LTE. Uh, Wi-Fi, fiber, however we can get, it, as long as I can get some transport. But then you got to think about what you're what you're putting over that, and what you you have the ability to put over that. So, are we developing a business network that we're going to use in the battlefield, or is it a battlefield network they're going to use in the office? It's uh, I, I I'm I'm kind of I go back and forth between is our current network our warfighting network, or is there some other network we haven't created yet, maybe in conjunction with the navy? Yeah,
0: yeah, That, yeah, that make that makes a bunch of sense. Uh, and then the the other thing which. You know, we really kind of haven't talked about is, you know, the reason why SaaS and and really cloud in general, the reason that makes sense is because it's a big pot for everybody to kind of pull from. Ginormous data centers with similar capabilities, right? And and in my opinion, the more that we kind of militarize this or make it niche, all the benefits of software as a service, which is generally cost, all the benefits of that start going away. When you have lance corporals carrying tactical cloudlets in their backpacks, you're crazy if you think you're going to be going at the same uh, subscription model pricing that you're going to be paying for standard SaaS. And oh, by the way, uh, standard SaaS isn't so radically cheap uh, that going way more expensive than that is something that's going to work. I I think realistically as a military, if we're not going into this open-eyed to the fact that This could get wickedly expensive if we try to make this a shoe that fits at all times. Anybody have any thoughts on that?
3: Yeah, so um, I'll take that one. I'll pick that one up, John. So um, yes, so you kind of hit on what I would, uh, I'm going to use a a bad phrase, guys. I'm sorry. Uh, I'm going to use the word governance. Uh, So if you want to. Yeah. I figured you'd do that right now, but uh, uh,
2: just... <laughs> <laughs>
3: it's no longer a host. Cool. Um, so yeah. Uh, but it's, it's super important, right. As an organization that we actually can monitor the budget. Right. And, and this is not a new concept. Right. Um, and we talked about this a little bit on the first episode about how acquisitions is kind of catching up to um, this more lean agile process of like developing software but is nowhere near kind of where the, the private sector is, right? So just knowing how much we can forecast with like these cloud service calculators that Kyle mentioned last episode, and then two, um, how we monitor that in somewhat of near real time and set thresholds so that when you're expending money, Right. We're monitoring that and say, oh, you're about to reach your threshold for next month because most cloud billing happens on a monthly cycle. That's not new to anybody. But just monitoring that threshold is super important. And so that's what I mean by governance. It's not so much like the policies as it is. How are you governing your actual like financial expenditure and uh, in, in your planning and your forecasting? Um, I guess one thing I'll say to that end is I've seen. Um, on a very, very mature end of the spectrum, organizations do things like a credit report, right? Where inside of their organization, their business units, right? Or their warfighting elements actually plan like budget, like you would run your home budget for how much money you're going to expend over the next six months, right? And then you actually get graded on how close to that planning factor. Did you underrun it? Did you oversee it? right? Um, and then you get kind of a score. Uh, on, the, on the far left side of that maturity spectrum, um, it's, oh my God, I got some money, clouds right now, click, 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 click. And then budget is zero and you're owing money at the end of the, uh, end of the billing period, not knowing if you even got the value that you thought you were investing with that CapEx. So um, I'll pause there for a second. I just think governance is important. Um, and, and governance in an automated fashion, then you're then you're really winning. I don't know if that answers your question or not, John. I kind of ranted there a bit. Yeah, no, and I, I think you definitely caught it. Uh, you know, Pat,
0: I, I had a question about this for you and obviously keeping OPSEC and capabilities in mind. Um, when, when you think of ubiquitous user productivity or collaboration, like if you could snap your fingers and have any capability you wanted, could you think of some, especially in the, in the setting of naval integration, can you think that maybe we have some some gains to make here, or can you see there being some game changing technologies if you could just spin up a, a licensing and be able to do, you know, thing X with the Navy today.
1: Yeah, it's a, uh, um, I'm going to use seamless again, but uh, it's, I mean, it, it, we want that, like the Navy Marine Corps team wants this like seamless network that shifts from ship to shore and shore back to ship. And the Navy providing a service, um, Uh, on ship maybe the Marine Corps transitions ashore maybe it's supporting another Navy entity ashore so now it's the Navy supporting the Marine Corps supporting the Navy Um, we don't have that right now instead it's still like a juggling of six different email addresses uh, to collaborate um, with, with a cell phone that's not, not connected in any way to, to your network. Um, so it's just not the, the sort of user experience you want. You're, you're juggling email accounts and phone numbers um, instead of something that uh, kind of as you hop around maybe a different AO, um, it's doing all the traversing for you. It's, it's seamless to the user. You, you have that same user experience on your piece of hardware, regardless of what network you're connected to. Um, we, just, we just don't have that. I don't know what that solution looks like. I'm sure that's high intensive bandwidth as well, uh, which is a reality we kind of need to get our arms around too. Yeah, I don't, I don't know what the magic snap of the fingers necessarily is for it.
0: Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, that makes sense. I, like, just giving you an idea. So uh, without going into the specifics here, I would say you know there are marine expeditionary unit kind of like phases of training that you go through and and who is to say that we don't add an additional phase of training where you get the chance to go through the rapid response planning process once or twice before you even physically meet each other i'm thinking through mentally what we had to do in those things you know on ship you don't have any you know massive 100,000 person or hundreds or thousands of person meeting spaces so a lot of times everybody has to just go back to their workspace individually and work on this stuff anyways who's to say you can't do that Uh, from a collaboration room, geographically isolated from each other.
2: And I think that the world we're living in right now in a global pandemic scenario is really training the entire global population on exactly how to do that thing, right? Like, I'm really comfortable sitting with a button up shirt and basketball shorts on and being professional AF as we video conference you know, with nobody else around me on a call with 20 or 30 other people. So as much as Uh, it's an absolutely terrible tragedy that's happening worldwide. We're finding some interesting silver linings in our ability to really realize that we can get a lot done over video chat or remote distributed work and meeting environments.
0: Yeah, I like your top half professional uh, concept there. Oh yeah, it's always
2: business on the top, guys.
1: Yeah, that's one of my favorite memes I've seen lately is, uh, I'm glad we're finally talking about memes, uh, (laughs) is uh, is the multiple choice test of like who rapidly developed uh, collaboration software In your company and it's like a A is the ceo b is the cio and c is covid and it's always covid and it's just it is c yeah the amount the amount of growth we've seen in the dod for telework has been incredible to the point of like what were we even doing before this like who was like you're telling me you could quadruple the amount of vpns in two days like why didn't we just do that two days ago um, so, yeah, and, and like the ability to onboard people with some of these collaborative applications where I think we were going to have to set up all these how to's and how to do has been pretty minimal. Like people really embrace it and kind of ran with it. And the way you're able to kind of scale up to chatting, to talking, to video, to all right, we've got that synced up and kind of scale back down to chatting with each other and just text is, is just really incredible. And you're seeing that across those are that's 18 year olds to you know 50 year olds that are kind of embracing this, this software and learning how to get things done.
2: Yeah, there's yeah, a lot after. of people out there who were naysayers about remote work, uh, you know, eight weeks ago, who now are really realizing that there's no limit to what you can get done from right. behind your monitor screen.
1: Yeah, knife hands are tough virtually, so I
2: that's true. That's and yeah. an yeah. Emoji Rich and for that.
3: Off. <laughs> <laughs> well, speaking of that, right? Um, yeah. I do think I know. I, I promise I'm I am not virtually knife handing right now, but uh, I will say this much, right? Um, with with all this awesomeness, because I truly do think that the government writ large, not just the DOD, um, and then even, you know, neck it all the way down to the Marine Corps, right? Um, We are probably quadrupling the amount of productivity that people are doing just because they don't have the distractions at the workplace, right? So you, you used to see at the workplace, like all wide open spaces, like, early days of the 1900s, right? Like just wide open spaces. Then we eventually morphed into this cubicle office space like scenario where everybody has their own section because they got to be so efficient. They got to work, 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 right? Then we went back to this, no, we got to be collaborative, right? And Cal could talk to this about some of the physical sites at his work location, right? That they're just like realistically, they want people to collaborate and come together. And then, but as a result of that, we try to do that in the DOD and then what ends up happening is people just walk around and start randomly talking about things that they find interesting. And so now we've gone into the space where people are at home doing work and they're being super productive and efficient. But one of the things, and this is where I was going to talk about potential, um, you know, shortcomings is I truly think, and we talked earlier about data being the the focus and decision-making and supporting war fighting functions Um, one of the things that is the huge challenge right now, I think for the DOD is like, how do I make this data available? So it's not like just magically boom, right? Like COVID happened, we dealt with all the tragedy associated with it. There's some silver linings and now we're like winning, right? For definition of winning, meaning people have access, they can collaborate with each other. but. We're in the middle of how do I get access to all that data that is now stovepiped in these DOD data centers that might not be available for me through my new user productivity and software as a service collaboration tool set. right? So this huge migration of how do I make this data available uh, and do it in a secure way is, is I think what the next big ridge line is facing the service components, right? like that, that is not a trivial thing to overcome, especially when you have contractual obligations with folks and, and organizations, either in the defense industrial base or in the private sector that are supporting you as contractors. So um, I don't know what you guys thought are about that, but, you know, I really want to focus on this data component because I do think the software as a service from a user productivity perspective, it allows us to become massively productive, but we actually have to have a deliberate plan to make the data available. So I turn that over to the crew. Yeah,
0: yeah, it completely makes sense. And I, I tell you what, what we'll do is we'll just transition this to our kind of like outro bullet for uh, the user productivity and collaboration piece. So uh, all of what Rich said, kind of like summarize this another way and we'll, we'll go uh, Kyle and then Rich and then Pat. Uh, so do you think the thing limiting us right now, is it the technology, i.e. the bandwidth or the the actual tech that's available to do this productivity and collaboration? Or do you think it is a little bit more of what Kyle kind of got at of like, we've been able to do this for a while. We just haven't wrapped our heads around or so. So is it a mindset? Is it technology or is it a mindset thing? Uh, And Kyle, we'll start with you because you are probably the furthest in the spectrum of, you know, mindset equals money. And like you (laughs) talked about on the last cast, Like there is something very freeing about the fact that it doesn't matter what anybody kind of says or thinks at the end of the day, there's kind of like a dollar value associated. So like you're either doing it or not.
2: Yeah. So I I will say this and I feel super passionate about this. We are not limited by technology in any way to solving that problem today. Um, I can't imagine if this COVID Pandemic had happened ten or fifteen years ago. What we would have done as a as a economy, as a global economy, right? Or as anybody who's using any tech, I can tell you that radio operators and wiremen would have gotten a whole lot more work uh, if this had happened ten or fifteen years ago. But I don't think there's anything holding us back. And I'll, I'll just full stop at that is to say, any company out there right now can solve this problem, can employ VPN technology, can support remote work, can support remote productivity. And depending on how they're set up, can support massive scale data sharing. So to, to Rich's point about the data is it, right? The data is your gravity. There's no getting around that. You can have all the best, you know, word processors and and email sharing stuff in the world, but if you can't access the email or access the document, or it's halfway across the globe and the latency won't let you work with it, you're not able to do anything. I think it's a hundred percent mind share. Like I said earlier, it's. A lot of people who have been like, there's no way I could ever work remote are being shown in in brutal honesty and brutal contrast that, yes, you absolutely can. And your people might actually be more productive at certain things if they don't have to come into the office, if they don't have to support your incredibly ancient legacy on-prem mainframe stack. Or, or you know, you can... All I do all day is help customers kind of figure out this transformational journey, how you're going to adopt modern technology. And that's the real big piece. I mean, you've seen articles in the news about how we're trying to desperately find COBOL programmers because the average age of a COBOL programmer is like 68 now. And, and how companies are still running massive critical infrastructure on ancient mainframes with COBOL code. Uh, and and just, if you're willing to invest and you're willing to actually look at what's out there, implement it and and take your preconceptions out of it, right? Like if you're if your synapses for innovation really crystallized when like VMs were still cool, then you're going to have a hard time here, right? Like you're going to have a bad day, as they say. Uh, but if you're willing to just like kind of look left and look right and take the blinders off and keep your head on a swivel, just got to use that one in there anytime I can. Uh, it's a cool world out there and there's nothing holding you back. It's it's a wonderful time to
3: be alive if you're in tech.
0: Okay, so Kyle says it's mindset.
3: Rich, go. Yeah, I think, um, so I agree with Kyle. I'm not going to um, add to that, I'll, what I will say um, on a slightly different angle here is that I think one of our inhibitors is actually coming up with a deliberate plan, right? It sounds weird. We're the military. We should be really, really good at coming up with like strategic operational tactical level plans to go execute some things, right? And I think that there is a lot of organizational and cultural mindset changes to what Kyle was talking about that could just just need to happen, um, in order to allow this migration of, um, you know, on-premise to cloud-based software as a service on the productivity and collaboration side of the house to really just like take root and flourish. Um, so, to say I guess one additional thing is um, that planning is important, um, and we need people to get together via these tools and actually talk about it. Uh, because Kyle's right, the technology doesn't limit you at all. Where you know, five to 10 years ago or 10 to 15 years ago, that would have been a, that would have been a problem. So there's that point. And I think the second thing too, is we need to start asking ourselves, what is it that we want to actually store on premise, right? Cause not all things to cloud is the right answer. Right. And so if we start saying like, Hey, these things require some physical on-premise systems. Like for example, if I was working in a manufacturing organization, I have systems in my building that are assembly lines that like have to function, right? So there's some code that probably has to execute in the physical sense, right? On-premise. So I just think we, as the DOD, if we sit here, especially the Marine Corps, and just say, what is it that we actually need to run on-prem? And what does it take and where should we we have those data centers and how many people should we invest in running them? I think coming up with that deliberate plan is kind of the the area that I would say is a stumbling block or a hurdle we just kind of jump over. I'll leave it at that, John. Well, okay, and, awesome. I'll
2: add one thing to that too and just say any cultural or mindset shifting is very easy to do with a small number of people and is exponentially more difficult, the more processes, people and technologies that you add. And if you're talking about, you know, the Marine Corps, that is a big boat to move, right? If you're going to change the heading on that ship from 120 to 121, that's a lot of effort that it's going to take, right? Let alone changing it a complete 180. So just we, we sit here and we talk about, you know, well, there's nothing holding us back, except the actual work of doing the shift, right? Let alone once the mindset has shifted, right? Let's just say that, you know, someone waves a magic wand, and the commandant down to the every private in the in the corps decides, "Oh yeah, we're doing this." Just the work to do it is going to be monumental.
0: Oh yeah, yeah, that completely makes sense. But you know, uh, in today's landscape, uh, if if you've got a commandant that's oh, yeah. that's willing to uh, get rid of artillery and tanks, uh, w- why not? You know, oh, yeah. so and, I mean, it's never been
2: an easier time to do it. So I'm not saying I'm not trying to poo-poo it. Just trying to look at it from a different angle, play a little bit of devil's advocate, and just say. It's easy to do, but not easy to do. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah. Pat, what do you think?
1: Oh, yeah. And if you compare it to other services, like we certainly have it much, much easier. Like, we don't, the Marine Corps doesn't build an aircraft carrier and then right. I hope to get 60 years out of it. Um, But the Navy does and they are, they are a slave to their, to their processes for, for good reason. Like Nobody wants a kind of okay working nuclear submarine, (laughs) Uh, whereas the Marine Corps are like, ah, this is kind of the 90% piece of gear I need and I can, I can figure out the rest of it. Um, So yeah, there's a couple points brought out there, but yeah, Navy versus Marine Corps is pretty interesting. Um, How, how, how we looked at essential workers when we did the first kind of cut line of who was essential. um, We just thought kind of everybody was essential and essential work could not be done at home. Now I think we're realizing that essential work can happen at home. So certainly like some of our top tier people can actually work from home and still get the same amount of work done um, but, uh, back, back to John's original question about technology versus like a mindset, like yeah, I'll agree with the group, it, it's not, not a technological struggle. There might be some kind of exquisite nuances as we talk about going in some of our emerging threats out there, that there's some technology that it would be nice if that, that kind of caught up and we had some exquisite capabilities, but, uh, but for the most part with, with simple kind of collaboration and kind of the phase we are in and now, um, technology is
0: not the limiter there. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. So it sounds like we've, uh, we've got some group consensus here. Okay, well, uh, on that note, we're just going to kind of kick it over to the next topic we wanted to talk about. Um, So not only can we do kind of the the every user uh, type of stuff using SaaS, but we can actually use SaaS to rapidly uh, move us forward into the cloud space, uh, specifically around software development. So knowing that we can use some SaaS products and kind of like uh, rich, Uh, and Kyle gave us a little bit earlier, without laying all the infrastructure costs down to figure out putting that all together, we can pretty easily purchase uh, SaaS tools to be able to do that software development. Uh, I I guess the question is, is this the thing like user productivity and collab? Is that a mindset we can wrap our heads around, but software development is is a little too close hold? Or is this something we could actually see uh, the Marine Corps embracing uh, as well? I'm gonna start with Rich on this one since he's probably the closest to it.
3: Oh, well, thanks, John. Uh, Yeah, so uh, like Kyle said, he's super passionate about some things. I'm super passionate here uh, for a couple of reasons, but I'll leave my opinions out and just say there's one big question that the Marine Corps really, really, really needs to ask itself, and that is do we want to be a software development organization before we look at solution sets, right? Like is this something the big green machine is like, yep, We want to do it. And the reason I say that is because to John's earlier point, we have a commandant right now who's like literally trading numbers of Marines for dollars to get capabilities to then overcome an adversary, right? So, you know, that's pretty monumental. I think most commandants get graded on how many Marines they increase the end strength of the Marine Corps by when they leave office, right? And this commandant's like, nope, not worried about that number. It's, he's a super metric driven guy too for those who, who've who worked with him. Um, but he's like, no, nope, I need some capabilities, right? So for us to invest money, and this is not me by the way saying, I don't think the Marine Corps needs to be a software development organization. It's just, we need to answer that question collectively and then step off in the right direction, right? Um, to use a phrase like, let's disagree and then commit and move forward. And and the reason I say that is because right now, I really, really, really think that the software development initiatives that are going on across the DOD from acquisitions to what individual services are doing. Like right now the air force is kind of the executive agent for software development. So, I mean, Nick Chalons out there, you know, putting out information when COVID hit, they launched this new chat capability, right. Um, Really was taking an open source uh, tool and then, you know, applying it to a DOD use case uh, to support the crisis um, or crisis response, I should say. But um, my my point, point in in this whole rant is we need to decide if we're gonna do that. Right. Most organizations will say that software development and IT operations are kind of just inherently part of what you do now. You should just factor that into your business operation. Um, But but I really do want the Marine Corps to think about this in a deliberate fashion and then step off in the right direction. Kyle, I don't know what your thoughts are there. It's a really tough question. And I think that
2: the probably the right answer, and again, this is just you know, Kyle's opinion being on a soapbox, the right answer is trying to decide how much software development the Marine Corps is going to do, because there's going to be problems that only Marines can solve, right? And, and or only Marines are incentivized to solve, right? If you have to go convince someone in the Air Force or the Navy or at the DOD level to care about something that maybe they don't have context on, it's really tough. But You have to decide if you're going to put software development, you know, down to the regimental level, or are you keeping that at headquarters, or are you going to outsource that to something, you know, at the McNOSC or some other higher level function. And if if you can decide on the scale of what you want to do, I think then that helps you answer John's original question of, of should we do this with SaaS? I I feel passionately that the answer is yes. Um, I will say that most of the larger software development companies in the world no longer even do edge. Software development meaning you remote in to a distant end somewhere that has your software suite on it. This is the traditional like virtual desktop or virtual development stations, and that's that's the way I would go forward. Like if I had to recommend a path forward, please, please, please don't try to like install a code editor on your local desktop or anything like that. That, that way there be dragons.
0: All right, I think that's some uh, that's some pretty good uh, advice there, Kyle. Thanks, and, and Rich, <laughs> thanks for outlining that, Pat. How realistic do you do you find this being like you know you're you're on the USS blank uh do, do you see yourself walking over to a corporal a sergeant a staff sergeant warrant officer and and saying hey uh you know the latest build I feel like I can't see elevation quite properly uh, we ne- we need to put the code in to to make that visualize differently do you, do you see that something as reasonable or or are we thinking maybe this is a little different type of software development.
1: Yeah, I, th- I think, John, it, it, like, it briefs so well. Like I can see the scenario in my, sh- in my head like, going on the ship and like, hey, for this unique mission set, I need you to build this application in the next couple of days. We're going to use it kind of this one time to fill this kind of niche capability. And it's not something we want to kind of go up the chain and have somebody have to build for us. So, you know, Sergeant, really smart Marine, like develops this thing and it's it, it's all great. It's kind of like like 3D printing, like how that was kind of like a buzz for a while of like, you know, we're 3D printing these parts and it wasn't that hard to teach the Marines how to do it. And we're seeing a ton of bang for our buck. Um, I, I, I just don't really see it with, uh, with kind of application development or, or SAS at the, uh, at the kind of tactical level. But, but I think to like, um, I think to the model of like how, how we kind of train some of the more like mid-level officers in this who go to like Navy postgraduate school, they're usually destined to go to some court of SISCOM or three-star command or headquarters Marine Corps tour after their time. And they are trying to rework that model to send these guys kind of down to tactical level, kind of lieutenant colonel, colonel level units, so that maybe they could help that unit kind of frame the problem of what they want to kind of run it up the chain instead of just, you know, we don't like the software, we we want something different. Um, So maybe that's kind of like meeting in the middle with it where you're not really doing development, but at least you're providing some sort of technical input to it. Um, I don't know if that's a solution.
2: I think there's a couple middle grounds that you could do here also of you could provide toolkits to anyone at any level, right? Like you could be Lance Corporal Schmuckatelli or you could be Major Schmuckatelli and you have all the tools that you need to do some sort of prototyping, right? If you hate a piece of software and you think you can build something better, like there's really cool tools that are out there that you can use that are all, you know, SaaS based or remote development based where you could just go build something, right? Build a prototype, see if it works, really do that sort of uh, scrappy in, in, in the civilian world, it's the scrappy startup idea, but really it's like, you know, Marines getting stuff done just like they've done for hundreds of years and just try that out. If it works, now you've got a business case that you can take to your higher command and say, hey, look, this increased our productivity by X, right? You got a, a metric driven commandant that makes me my, my whole soul happy because that's what they are doing in the outside
3: world. That's what's driving
2: tons of innovation and that's what's bringing people a lot of value.
3: Yeah. So Kyle um, and and Pat, I think what you guys said is, is super awesome. And I kind of wanted to just um, hit two points really quick. So, you know, the, uh, I brought up the very, um, you know, kind of ultimatum draconian type, like, should we do software development or not? And, you know, Kyle's response was, well, just, you know, how much? And there's a middle ground. Like, that, I think that is 100% the right, a more refined and better question to ask. Right. And then two, you know, Pat's talking about, um, doing software development, right, on whatever scale of development you're talking about at the tactical, operational, strategic level of war, right? I think in my, you know, kind of analysis of the subject is when we take the how much development to, um, you know, Pat mentioned the 0673 cyber application developer MOS, right, for the win. Um, I think what what is really big here is that you're now giving an aspect of society, right? Like, young civilians who want to become Marines who have grown up natively understanding how to code, right. They might've just done Python or, you know, use these different like raspberry Pi you know, uh, versions to build something in, in, in their house. Right. And they just innately know how to do this because they grew up in a society where that was ubiquitous, right. Like as is right now. So we want those people in the Marine Corps. We need those people in the Marine Corps. Now, will they be building the, you know, the next high Mars, um, application or the next F-35 application that like <laughs> does all the awesome stuff. You know, Pat talked about like, you know, we want to make sure that that nuclear sub software works really, really good and is really, really secure. But, you know, I know near and dear to John's heart is like, let's just script and automate things that we do Something. multiple times on a daily basis. Right. So that there's no human error, like the level of what Kyle talked about, how much development, right. And then Pat talking about, well, who's doing what at what level of warfare in this new MOS? I think it's going to be really hard to, on a, you know, NCO paycheck or below, bring in uh, really (laughs) experienced application developers. um, But you don't want to, like, not have a place for people in society to serve with the tree suit in the Marine Corps that have a skill set that you know, they're apprenticing and they want to get all the way up to like the master with. So I don't know what your guys' thoughts are on that.
0: Yeah, it, it's a really, it really brings out a, a challenge in recruiting, retention and things like that. I, I know I've read a bunch online about the the hundred times or the, the thousand times developer, the idea being th- this developer is worth a hundred or worth a thousand uh, other developers. Now, whether you believe that or not, whatever, but I, I think if you put it down to a numbers game, uh, one. Would that person be willing to go to Paris Island and, and get kind of like mentally and metaphorically uh slapped around uh and and uh <laughs> you know br- brought into the system? Uh and and even could they? Are they gonna meet height weight standards? You know, do they have out-of-regs tattoos that make them not able to do military service? There's an awful lot of questions. And I think when you run the numbers, there's gonna be a small number of people that are even able to do that. And If we're serious about this, we're going to need a couple of those hundred times and thousand times. And maybe the right answer is have them all wear green. You know, uh, it it could be kind of a different paradigm. I
2: I will say this as someone who has been in the outside world for a while now and, and was very successful in the Marines. The Venn diagram overlap of, you know, 10X developers, people qualified to join the Marines and people who want to join the Marines, is going to be an extremely small overlap to the point where planning around that is just going to be recruitment nightmare, retention nightmare. And I, this is my personal opinion on it. If the Marine Corps thinks that they are going to gain, train, and retain people who can probably make, you know, 10 times more money in the outside world, that's going to be a really difficult ask. And I think that trying to breed that level internally, just keeping keeping things real, is going to be a a setup for unsuccessfulness.
0: Yeah, I I won't say where it came around, but we have affectionately started terming this unicorn hunting. Um, Oh, yeah. Because I I think it kind of gets at what you're saying. So Mm -hmm. hey, in the interest of time, I think we need to move past this one, though. Uh, Awesome uh, stuff that we talked about here. But if we left this cast without talking about uh, security around SaaS, uh, we would we'd be missing a pretty major point. Uh, so let, let's get into this with the the remaining time that we have. And, and instead of introing it too much, I'm just going to kick it right over to uh, Rich, who may or may not have ranted about this from time to time.
3: Rich. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'll actually keep this one short and turn it over to the rest of the crew. But uh, uh... So when you look at software as a service, right, especially let's talk on the user productivity side because it's, it's just right now it's the right time to have this conversation, right? Um, one of the things the adversary, you know, is looking at is like everybody's online, right? So I mean, even you you go and look at the like the COVID case map, right, where you could see, uh, you know, and then we have bad guys dropping malware on the site and getting drive-by downloads of bad stuff. So it's important, right, to to secure you know, not only just, uh, the software as a service, but, you know, also just the basics of security and using your web browser because you're at home. Uh, but, but having said that, getting back to SaaS for a second, this is where you're going to pay some money on top of paying some money for your CapEx investments. Right. Um, and the question I think here is, you know, what, what level of security are you looking for? Right. And, um, you know how do you implement that in a software-as-a-service type environment? And, and what I mean by that is, in theory, you're paying a managed service provider to give you a service, right? Some of the managed service providers, well, all of them have you know security offerings that go along with uh, the user productivity suite. So, for example, like if I use a Microsoft product, I could pay X money for a different type of license that gives me security, right? To use Kyle's phrase from last week, like, you know, click add to cart for security done right yeah i just throw a little money out there so i think i think what organizations have to be concerned about here is when you're buying these tools as a service you need to pay attention to what security posture you want to have and then what services are available for you to pay for as a fee and and what things you just want to do on your own by like actually capturing some log data in the cloud from that software as a service and then doing some analysis yourself. So I think there's a balance there. I don't really have the right, like, 100% solution here. But, you know, and this is kind of where I was looking for for Kyle's input. You know, we talked last week about multi-factor auth and constantly challenging folks that have permissions they don't routinely use, right? Like, you know this is non trivial and it costs a lot of money if you're if you're not thinking about this from an efficiency perspective so you know Kyle I'll, I'll turn it over to you for your thoughts there
2: sure i think that from from a from a security saas platform there's a ton of experience that be, can be gained from using offerings that are provided by people who eat sleep and breathe the particular thing you want right we talked last week about don't roll your own password management system or multi-factor system or key value store, right? There's there's people who are out there who know it better than you do, know it better than you will probably ever be able to learn. Uh, and I don't mean that in a negative way, just like let's face reality here. And there's some interesting stuff that's out there from a SaaS perspective. And when you're going with a SaaS provider, like productivity, right? Office 365, Google apps, all those kinds of things, you're getting a level of security added to that. And if you can then work with that provider, especially, you know, as the Marine Corps to add security into the native offering that they're giving you, that seems like an opportunity to really change the game as far as what security you can provide and really centralize that security where, again, you know, we're really good at securing like HTTPS connections to things where SaaS really shines. What we're really bad at is like edge-based security, right? How are you going to do IDS, IPS, detection, anomaly, logging, all that kind of stuff at the edge when someone who's not super trained is designed to implement it, um, where if you can just remove that hurdle, you can you can see a lot of increases in your overall security posture.
0: Yeah, that, that makes a, that makes a lot of sense. So what you're saying, said, said another way, it's not quite as simple as just buy biggest uh, firewall I possibly can on-prem and buy a software version of that for the cloud and just call it a day. No, Maybe a little it, bit more nuanced than that?
2: Yeah, and I think the real problem there is that you kind of can get paralyzed by choice right now, right? There's so much stuff out there in the security SaaS space. And, you know, all the the hyperscale cloud providers, Amazon, Google, Microsoft, all of them are providing entire ranges and suites of services. And it's really kind of hard, unless you are hardcore into that, to tell the differences between the two and to really understand the nuances of, of the pros and cons of each one of those solutions. And I think that, the real struggle now is that you can implement kind of anything you want, but deciding what to implement and how to really make a end-to-end secure ecosystem, that's a struggle. I think that anyone, even people that have been in the industry a very long time and are deeply experienced, struggle with that nowadays of just, you know, you talk to friends all the time. It's like, oh, have you heard about this new tool? And I'm like, nope, tell me about it. And they tell me, and I'm like, oh, it sounds like six other tools that I know of that are in that space. But yeah, that's cool. And you just play that over and over again across every aspect of security. and. That's the biggest problem that I see with with customers and the biggest problem that I see with even small organizations is they're just paralyzed by choice of what to do with security.
0: And the other thing is there's a decent amount of nuance in this stuff too, right? Because they they are coming out with technology every single day um, that, you know, for, you know, in the civilian world, I know you have a lot of different kind of compliance mechanisms and, you know, boxes that you got to check to make sure you're providing this, that, and the other thing. Uh, And certainly we do in the military as well. Uh, But I would imagine when you go through your security spreadsheet of what you're required to do, there's probably a good amount of time where the technology has far outpaced the reasonable kind of like marry up of the matrix of of what you must be doing. Uh, And there's a decent amount of kind of judgment calls that need to be made, which I think probably further paralyze the process. Do you think that'd be fair?
2: Yeah, I definitely think that'd be fair. I mean, documentation and standardization in general is not kept up with the tech. And I mean, you can take one example as John, me and you've talked about this a bunch, like I want to log things. You know, how many choices do you have of just SaaS providers, SaaS methods, technology stacks in order to do that one basic but minor aspect of logging? I mean, it's hundreds. Yep, definitely.
0: Uh, Pat, thinking about uh, the security side of SaaS, what what immediately comes to mind for you? Is it is there any kind of I don't know if I would call it nightmare scenario or something that your mind kind of like gravitates to immediately uh, in, in the combo mind.
1: Um, I guess it's like, so security, it's like you talk security, you're talking about risks, So, like, risk is commander's business. And I guess my worry is do we have commanders out there that are knowledgeable about, the, about this, can make an assessment of, you know, it's when you talk about the combo versus maybe the cyber network operator. There might be decisions being made of, like, the, the network's compromised. Um, let, let's, let's not even systematically. Let, let, let's turn it off because we're so, we're so scared of it. Where our, our next fight is probably going to involve adversaries like in our network. So we're going to need to learn how to operate knowing that that is going to happen. Commanders are going to have to make an assessment. We're going to have to have good data and good intel and then kind of decide of what we're still comfortable doing and what things maybe we're not going to do while we're in that compromising situation. So I I think the biggest thing is just education of commanders um and and of those kind of special staff officers like commos and your your cyber operators um to to be able to kind of assess that risk and and make decisions very very quickly.
0: Yeah, yeah, that makes perfect sense. So what I heard you just say was your your first task for the 0673 uh, is going to be coding in a really big red switch that you can flip uh, to turn the network off. Is, is that accurate?
3: <laughs> um, yeah, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, so on, on uh, go ahead, Reg. <laughs> yeah, thanks. Um, so, yeah, I, I, one of the things that I, I think is super um, awesome about this discussion we're having right now is that Kyle brought this up and, and, and Pat did. Um, from different perspectives so Kyle's saying you know from a from a large cloud service provider perspective um, there's all these offerings and a million tools and and it's great that like there's people passionate about building software security tools right um, but one of the biggest problems um, you know dare I say come back to like the whole requirements process inside of the Dod um, we need to actually look at what it is we're trying to do before we look at all the tools because to Kyle's point, there's so many tools now and so many different price points that are normalizing out, it's it's hard to pick, right? So you kind of got to look at your organization and say, you know, I also don't want my security professionals whose job it is to monitor these systems, right, to actually get so much alert fatigue, they don't know what's going on. So if I have a security information event management system and this cloud provider and that cloud provider and one on-prem and in this specific enclave that doesn't have any network connections, anything else, like they have a really hard time doing what people call like the swivel chair, right? Where they're flipping between all these panes of glass and trying to maintain some sense of continuity in their brain and, and situational awareness. And then, you know, you have the commander's risk perspective that Pat brought up. And I think that's super important, right? That commanders are always making risk decisions. They're trained to do that. That's why they're awesome in the roles that they're in. And so we, I think as tech professionals have to be able to Articulate what a strategy is to them from a software implementation perspective or adoption perspective to say, here's a simple way to assess your risk and then figure out what our acquisition strategy is to buy those things that don't just like get our operators alert fatigue. So for what it's worth, that's my two cents there, John. Awesome. Yeah, makes perfect
0: sense. Hey, team, this this puts us about at time. Uh, So uh, we're going to start off here with Rich, you get one more shot here. So I'm going to go uh, Rich, uh, Kyle, and then Pat for any final thoughts you have.
3: Yeah, thanks, John. Uh, my final thought here is uh, software as a service. Um, I really do think it will will allow the, the Marine Corps to be more efficient in its resource allocation from finance you know, personnel and equipment perspective, but we just got to get to the business of coming up with deliberate plans to implement some of this stuff because the technology is there, as we all said earlier. So let's do what the military does well, come up with some operational planning and get after this in a deliberate fashion. I'll turn it over to Kyle.
2: I agree with that, man. Just get started, right? Let's figure out some things that work. And once you know that they work, spread them around, Uh, get people to be able to focus on the things that actually matter, those essential things that they need to be done and get rid of the minutia that's just eating up time. And, uh, you know, to echo things that John says, automate all the things that you can. Don't waste your time doing the same things over and over again. And make sure we're taking care of each other, staying healthy out there, everybody. Yeah,
1: yeah. And then I'll keep with that thing, just just messaging. Like, I, I think this podcast is great. I think mediums like this are great to kind of educate the force of, like, things are happening. And, like, you do have a lot of input into what those things are. And it also, it's also great for challenging leaders to be like, hey, maybe maybe my, my plan, I thought that was a great strategic beacon of light, um, isn't so much that. And I need to kind of refocus it, trim it down, and actually actually get say some things and then do those things and then get on with other things.
0: I love it. Say it, do it, get on with it. That one briefs quickly. Yeah. Awesome. Hey, thanks for joining us. Uh, you can connect uh, with the cast on social media by going to twitter.com slash usmc underscore tf phoenix that's usmc underscore tango foxtrot p-h-o-e-n-i-x pat you have any social media you'd like to plug Uh, i don't
1: i have a pretty good social media presence as john knows but i will keep that on the anonymous side
0: interesting every cast thus far uh we have said opsec moving on (laughs) (laughs) love it hey everybody thanks so much for joining us And, and listeners thanks for listening to the cast